Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Welcome back to our On Leave series. Whether you've been off work before, are currently off work, or wonder if someday you may need to go off work, this series is for you. We're talking about and working to normalize the many challenges facing first responders and frontline workers when they take time off work, whether it's due to a physical injury, a mental health-related concern, or an occupational stress injury, We're getting real about the stumbling blocks and how to navigate them as effectively as possible. Now, I need to front load that I kind of hate having to do this series. If I'm totally honest, it feels similar to victim blaming that we do in a lot of other parts of life. The vibe feels similar to knowing the conversations I'll have someday with my daughter about what clothes she chooses to wear as a mechanism for protecting herself. The truth is that you can take all kinds of actions and implement all kinds of great measures and still find that the time off work feels difficult. You are not the only factor determining the course of how this process will go. There's a whole big and fallible system that is joining you for the journey. That said, my ability to transform the system is limited So my hope is to equip you with the awareness and tools I can offer you so that you can do the best you can in the midst of the broken system. I say this because I want to be clear that I know it sucks. I know it sucks that during a time when you're already vulnerable, tired, and feeling limited in terms of your internal resources, that we are asking you to do so much and be an active participant in the course of your claim and recovery. Meanwhile, given the brokenness of the system, if we aren't active participants in it, we're likely to be trampled by the process and can be left worse off than where we started. I'm sorry to open with such a downer, but I value being honest and working to prepare from the very real deal place we're in rather than dealing in fantasy. That tends to set us up for disappointment and failure. Last week, we talked about cultivating self-direction and internal motivation. We addressed ways to build routines and where to focus time and energy to craft the most effective recovery environment possible. Today, we're talking about self-advocacy. 
We're going to dig into the difficulties people tend to have with self-advocating, the need for it in time off work, and how to go about refining these skills to implement them on behalf of ourselves well. So let's open with what it means to self-advocate. Self-advocacy means clearly identifying our needs and clearly expressing those needs to others in an effort to have them met. Sounds so simple and straightforward, doesn't it? So why do we need a whole episode about it? Well, here are some of the major stumbling blocks to self-advocacy. First, we're bad at knowing our needs. How often, when you have little free time, do you fill it with random shit like scrolling your phone? Do you need to scroll your phone? Is it serving you better than other choices that are more needed? If you could identify a need and serve it in that same amount of time, don't you think that would feel pretty great? The thing is, is we know we probably have some bigger, more specific needs, but we're bad at knowing about them. Second, we're bad at serving our needs. To know our needs is one thing. For example, I know I need to go to bed by a decent hour to get the sleep I need to do well in managing my life the next day. But does that mean I serve that need well or consistently? (laughs) You and I both know the honest answer to that is hell to the no. Just because I know a need and can clearly identify it doesn't mean I'm great at prioritizing or valuing it. The third major stumbling block to self-advocacy is our capacity to communicate and express our needs effectively to others. And this is a big one when we're off work on some kind of insurance or workers' comp claim, because there are likely to be a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And being able to clearly and effectively discuss our needs with these various stakeholders is fundamentally necessary if I hope to direct any of where this goes. Okay, so when it comes to self-advocacy, step one is to know what you need. To be able to clearly identify your needs does not just magically happen. Despite the fact that we spend all day with ourselves, we are not great at taking the time and space to slow our roles and get to know ourselves. If I asked you what your sweet spot is for sleep, could you tell me? What about for social media exposure or screen time generally? How many hours is good for you, benefits you? And where is the line where it tips the scales toward worsening your mood or capacity to be resilient? Have you ever considered what kinds of support benefit you most and done an inventory of the people in your life who can serve those areas of need? While we are all walking around with needs all the time, we are often walking around with them hidden so deeply undercover that we don't know what the heck they are. Or we're walking around knowing a little bit about them and hoping that someone will mind read knowing them to meet them for us without us asking. Both of these options are a setup for failure for us and the people in our lives. The thing about knowing needs is that it takes time and investment. Think about how you've learned what any person in your life has ever needed. Likely, you've taken the time to notice or ask or walk alongside their journey to observe and recognize their needs. 
You recognize feedback from when you've stumbled into doing something that serves their needs well, and the feedback that comes from when we fudged it up. We take that and track it so we can offer the best we can to the people we care about and reduce the things that really don't work for them. It's the same for us. We need to carve out time and space to explore and examine our own needs. We need to enter this time and space with curiosity and openness. This is not a one and done. Needs change and evolve as we do. So we need to check in with ourselves on a semi-regular basis to see what new needs have developed, what old needs are no longer feeling necessary, and adjusting our meeting of needs to adapt to how they flex. When it comes to examining and identifying needs, I have a few tips. Number one, start with the basics. If this process feels big and overwhelming, start with the most basic building blocks first and grow from there. Think about your basic needs like sleep, nutrition, movement, hydration, and connection. Number two, notice others. We tend to be better at noticing the needs of others than our own. So take some time to observe others in your life. What needs do they indicate having? Ones that they serve for themselves or that they ask others to serve for them? What needs bring out a sense of, oh man, that sounds good when you hear about them? Or cause a reflection of, goodness, I should really be doing that. Use those as a prompt to guide you. Number three, observe yourself. Notice where you feel disappointed by others for not mind reading your needs. Observe when you feel let down by yourself or those around you. Take notice of times where your mood shifts and be curious about what need this might be indicating. A quick tip is that the many emotions we experience serve a function to highlight unmet needs. So recognizing moments where emotions feel disproportionate to a situation or more intense than they would normally are some solid prompts to alert you that some needs require more attention. And number four, remain curious. Needing is a fact of living as a human in this world. Being needless isn't a thing. It's not possible. Allow yourself to enter this process with ongoing curiosity and try to manage any self-judgment that comes up along the way. I know that in my life, I can get critical of the amount of downtime I need, and yet when I don't meet this need, it negatively impacts everyone in my life. I get curious about variations of downtime that work for me, and I experiment with this as it evolves over time. But I know that I need it, and I try to find acceptance that this is my need, given all that I'm asking myself to do the rest of the time. Once we identify our needs, the next step is to do something with them. That's right, it's not enough to name it. We have to serve it. Otherwise, it remains a need crying out for attention, which will tend to show up in less and less convenient ways in various parts of our lives if we ignore them for long. I mean, that's the real thing about needs. They aren't wants. They are needs. Our bodies and minds are demanding them and will take action against us to emphasize their demands if we fail to pay attention or actively ignore for too long. This can start to look like increased irritability 
volatile emotions and mood swings, extreme overwhelm or extreme numbing or disconnection, and can even manifest in physical pain and illness, as well as a whole lot more. When it comes to prioritizing and engaging with our needs, here are my suggestions. Number one, brainstorm. Let's say that I need to get more sleep. That's the need I've identified. The reality is there are lots of ways to meet that need, and I may need to do one or some or all of them to satiate the need I have. I might need to go to bed earlier, which might mean changing some of my evening routine to work towards settling down to bedtime at a different time. I may need to work on the quality of my sleep rather than the quantity, and this might mean exploring melatonin or medical sleep aids. I may need to shift my morning routine to sleep a little longer if that's when my best sleep happens is in the morning. I may need to track my sleep to get a better sense of where the struggle is. I may need to ask for help and seek out a sleep expert to get a handle on my sleep. I may need to do some trauma therapy work to reduce nightmares and panic waking. There are a ton of interventions to work at meeting the very general need of getting more sleep. Brainstorming these, actually writing them down and coming up with more than just one version of how it looks to meet a need can be really helpful in making our starting point feel more accessible. Once I have a solid list of ideas, I get to pick and choose one or a couple to start with. And like we've already discussed, I can check in and review and then add or make adjustments where needed. Number two, start somewhere and build from there. Let's use an example that's really easy, like recognizing that I need to drink more water in a day. How much water? How can I know where my sweet spot is? Well, let's start by making some specific rituals, like drinking a full glass of water when I wake up in the morning, taking a large water bottle with me and finishing it by the end of my workday, and drinking one full glass of water with each meal. This would be a pretty solid starting point, and likely some of these are times I'm already having a glass of water. From here, I'm going to agree to doing this for a couple of weeks or a month and then checking in with myself to see how I'm feeling and if I need to adapt this further. This is really anchored to the idea that something is better than nothing, and taking small steps in a direction matters as it accrues over time. Number three, incremental steps. Research has shown repeatedly that incremental steps are more effective at sustaining behavioral change than big sweeping ones. Do not try to change your sleep, your diet, your exercise, your friendships, and a whole bunch of other things all at once. It's tempting, I know, to feel overwhelmed by the degree to which your needs have gone unmet when you start really looking at them. Seeing how far we feel we have to go from where we are if we haven't paid close attention to our needs can feel staggering and sometimes impossible. That said, I promise it's not impossible, but there is a version of reality that's likely to be more possible and one that's likely to be less possible. Trying to make big sweeping changes to our lives feels important, but it's not sustainable. We have to choose actions that we can engage in consistently. Sometimes we need to advocate with ourselves to slow down the process and allow ourselves to catch up 
before moving the target further ahead. And number four, the hills to die on. Okay, dying on the hills might be a smidge dramatic, but follow me here. In a second, we're going to talk about bringing our needs to others and expressing them to the people in our life. Before we do this, we need to be able to know which needs require serving by others versus which ones belong with me to serve. We also need to know which needs have highest value or priority in our lives to be served by the people we're going to take them to, and the specifics of what it would look like for these people to successfully meet the need. We need to know which needs we really need to push for and which ones we can settle for some compromise around. Again, these may change over time, so don't think this is a one-and-done kind of assessment process. You need to consistently be evaluating how you're doing, what alerts you're getting about the needs you have that are going unmet or not being met in a way that feels sufficient, and then determine the next steps in how we escalate these to make them actionable for ourselves and others. Using some of the examples I've listed so far, my goal of drinking more water is a me goal. I don't need anyone else's help with that. Meanwhile, my need for sleep is one I've had to enlist my husband to support. He'd like to connect more in the evening since life is busy and we don't get a ton of time together. Meanwhile, I know that staying up late really takes it out of me the next day. My need for sleep is one that needs escalation to ensure that he fully understands the value of, including how it benefits him. Me going to sleep and feeling more rested makes me able to do more at home And while our time together might be a bit less, the quality of me when this need is met is much better than when I'm exhausted and forcing my eyes to stay open. I need to go to bat for this need more than for others because I know the degree of value and impact it has. And I need to be prepared to enforce boundaries around this need to protect my wellness and my capacity to bring my best self to my family, work, and other commitments. Okay, so we have some strategies to help identify our needs and some tools to help us value and prioritize those needs. Now, how do we tell everyone else about them? How do we go about setting ourselves up for success when it comes to communicating with others about our needs? Well, first things first, we need to acknowledge one fundamental truth before we can say anything else, and it's this. Even if we do all the right things, things. We can't expect that communicating will necessarily result in what we want or hope for. I know it's a bummer. And I wish I could tell you that if you walk through all of these steps, you will absolutely get the outcome you're hoping for, but that would be a lie. And honestly, it would be a bit manipulative. If we could walk 10 easy steps to always get our way, that would likely get misused at some point along the way. The reality is that just like we are human, so too are the people in our lives and how they receive what we share with them is as much up to them and how they hear us as it is up to us in how we shape what we're sharing and how we go about sharing it. Now, with that truth in mind, I will say that walking these steps certainly sets interactions up for better chances of success and outcomes we can live with but I can't offer it as an absolute money-back guarantee. 
As we head into communicating about our needs and advocating for ourselves with others, here are some tips to keep in mind. Number one, have a clear goal. Before the interaction, have clarity on your goal. What are you wanting this person to know? Why is it important that they know about it? How can you make it abundantly clear and remove friction for them to be able to be successful in meeting whatever need you're presenting? All too often, we advocate for ourselves without clarity, but rather a lot of unclear emotion. We get riled up and open something without a clear sense of where we hope to end up, and rarely does that go well. We can also tend to bring things up with the wrong person, seeking needs to be met from someone who can't or isn't in a position to serve that need. Before advocating, slow your roll and make sure you feel really clear on what you're doing, why you're doing it, and that the person you're approaching is the right person for what you're bringing. Number two, think about what it's like to receive. That whole idea of walking a mile in someone else's shoes is something worth keeping in mind. Before we bring something to someone else, it can be helpful to consider what we know about that person, as well as what we imagine it might be like to receive the kind of information you're hoping to share. For example, if I need to contact my workers' compensation case manager about a concern, it can be helpful to keep in mind that they're often overloaded and quite busy. Given that knowledge, I might email first to set up a time rather than randomly calling and hoping I catch them between other calls and meetings. When I email to set up the call, I might identify that I need 20 minutes of their time to be sure that they have time set aside to really be dedicated to our conversation rather than itching to end the call to race off to something else. I might know that I need to share some fears and worries I have and that this might be something they have to listen to a lot of. Given that, I might open the conversation with something that recognizes this. Hey, I imagine that you might frequently hear concerns like this given what you do, but for me, this isn't what I'm used to and is concerning to me. I hope you can take the time to hear me out. Naming things like this on the front end helps the person receiving what you're sharing to be more open and receptive. Number three, focus. When we're emotionally activated, which we usually are when we feel moved to self-advocacy, and when we're in a more fragile space, which we also often are when we're off work for some kind of injury, illness, or mental health concern, we can have difficulty remaining focused as we speak with others. We can get tangential, rambling, feel emotionally driven, and so on. This is why it's important to have clear goals for the conversation because we can bring our focus back to those goals whenever we or the person we're speaking to starts to go astray. Orienting and reorienting the conversation to keep it on the path you set and not getting distracted by other information or being redirected by the other person's responses can help keep the advocating clear which tends to result in better success getting needs heard and as a result, met. I'll also say that remaining focused is really important if you're participating in a claim where things have been more adversarial, as offering too much information can have negative consequences in these scenarios. Staying really on task, 
keeping communication to the point and remaining focused on your goal is a really valuable skill set to practice. Number four, have an escape plan. Not every interaction goes to plan and we should have an escape hatch if we need it. Being able to recognize when an interaction isn't going well or isn't staying on course allows us to intervene. We can be prepared with statements like, I feel like this isn't going in a direction either of us are going to be happy with. Let's pause here and come back to it tomorrow after we've both had some time to sit with it. Or in cases where we don't feel able to name it so clearly, we can have some kind of out like, I'm so sorry, but I need to wrap this up. I have an important call coming in or kids walking in the door or an appointment I need to get to. The idea is to plan to hope things go well, but also anticipate how we can protect ourselves and the relationship to whomever I'm speaking with by having the ability to strategically shift gears if need be. And number five, no matter what. Recognize that no matter how it goes when you engage in self-advocacy, you are worth advocating for. Your needs matter. You matter, regardless of whether the person hearing you out really hears you or responds how you hope. Your advocacy isn't just about getting what you want. It's also about caring enough about yourself to try. When you're engaging in self-advocacy, it can be helpful to have an aftercare plan. Whether the interaction goes well or not the way we hoped, we can plan to have some time following the call to do some things to value our effort and appreciate our willingness to go to bat for ourselves out there in the big wide world. It might mean trying to be strategic about planning a call or meeting at a time that gives me some downtime following the interaction before I have to be on to the next must do thing. I might plan for that downtime to go for a walk and get some fresh air to clear my head or to take myself to my favorite coffee shop and read a book or journal for a bit. It's about holding grace and care for myself no matter what happened and how the interaction went. We've covered a lot today, friends. Before we end, let me also say that these skills can take some practice and it can be best to start in easier places with people we trust will respond well to us as we build our confidence. Let me also say that it's okay if it feels hard when people don't respond well. While we can work at preparing ourselves for this and valuing our worth, it's still disappointing and sometimes hurtful when people fail to meet our needs or live up to our hopes. Give yourself permission to be human. As we wrap up today, I want to encourage you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I also love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. I continue to be so amazed and inspired by this community we're building together. I'm so grateful for your support and that many of you are so keen to share about behind the line to others on the front lines. Thank you so much for sharing with those you know. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes or subscribe to our email list to hear from me about all the exciting things we have going on and coming up. You'll find all the details you need in the show notes, along with links to our free Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which will help you facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. 
We make all of these resources available to you because the work you do matters. But more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your very real and meaningful life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, friends, stay safe.